So if you would, as we always do, will you please stand for the reading of God's Word? We'll be in Exodus chapter 20. And again, we'll just be going over the Ten Commandments, verses 1 through, I believe, 17. So yes, please stand as we give honor to God's Word. We start at verse 1 of chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness or anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or as in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who loved me and have keep my commandments. The fourth commandment, you shall not take the name of uh, third command you should not take the name of the Lord God that you have in vain for the Lord will not held him guiltless who takes his name in vain the fourth commandment remember the Sabbath and keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work but on the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work you your son your daughter your male servant your female servant your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates for in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that you live, and the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or female servant, or his ox, or donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these commandments. Well, these commandments declare a lot of things, but one of the things they declare is your character and your heart, that you, that you are the one and true only God, that we are to only worship you, that you tell us how to worship you, not through graven images, but through your word. And today we look at the second half of the the commandments, and, and this is how we are to love one another. And we see some of the characteristics of faithfulness, of loyalty, of respect, of honor. Lord, these, these, these commandments not only help us love and serve one another, but again, direct us to you and, and show us and reveal to us who you are and your character and your attributes so that we can uh, honor and love you first and foremost as our Father. Lord, again, thank you for this day. This is the day that you have made. Lord, let us rejoice and be glad in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Woo! My mouth's a little frozen already. Got to warm her up. <clears throat> Exodus 20. We'll be looking again at the second half of the table of the law. And these deal with our horizontal relationships. We saw last week that the first four deal with our vertical relationships with the Lord. And here uh, deals with our horizontal relationships, how we love one another. And uh, I read an article this past week that a city newspaper was running short on time. So the editor had to make a call, especially in, the, in their lifestyle section. They didn't have an article to put in there. So the editor made a call and he just put Exodus 20 in there, the Ten Commandments, 1 through 17. And he just put those in, nothing more, nothing less, just the Ten Commandments. Well, the next day they got several calls, and one of those calls or emails was a person who wrote a note to paper saying, I am canceling my subscription to the paper. 
because of your article in the lifestyle section yesterday, the Ten Commandments. You see, the reason why I'm canceling it is you're getting a little too personal. You're getting a little too personal. And, and that's really, as we looked at last week, one of the functions of the Ten Commandments. They are to get personal. They are to get into our heart and into our soul. Remember, we looked at Calvin's three uses of the law, and last week we said one of those uses was to be like a mirror, that we would look in the mirror and see the reflection of our sin and our need for a Savior. We read in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20 here, it says, do not fear God, but God has come to test you so that you may not sin. So yes, it's personal. These are here, are given to us so that we don't sin against a holy God. And so today we're going to take a test, and maybe better yet, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 13 in this way and say, examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, if we do have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. These six commandments will help us look inside and examine our own hearts and our own lives to see if we are truly in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we start out with the first one, and it's actually the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother, verse 12. But before we do that, I just want to, again, jump back to verse 1, because context is so important as we read these commands to us. And again, we want to see them in light of the first in the way that God wants us to see them. Verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Again, we're reminding ourselves that keeping these commandments doesn't bring the Israelites into deliverance or salvation. They've already been saved. They've already been delivered out of Egypt. These commands are now saying, now this is how the Lord wants us to live. This is how we show the Lord that we love Him. And it's the same in the New Testament. Keeping commandments doesn't save us. What saves us is the life, death, and resurrection and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we obey Him as a fruit of that salvation. John 14, 6 puts it this way. If you love me, if you love me, if you are a Christian, then you keep my commandments. Paul in Romans 13 says the same thing, that this love leads to a certain lifestyle. So we always got to begin here. Always got to, because our natural tendency is to think that our relationship revolves on how we obey God or not. That when we obey God, we receive, his we receive His love, and when we don't obey God, we don't receive His love. And that is not biblical. That's not gospel whatsoever. We are already saved. Now, with that context, look at verse 12. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord God has given you. All right, this commandment right here is the commandment that every parent loves, amen? And every child hates, right? Right? Honor your father and mother for the day, maybe long, the land you live in. The command is quoted seven times in the New Testament by Jesus and the Apostle Paul. So these, this commandment, again, is reiterated by Jesus, something that we are under to follow and obey under the new covenant. Under, we call it the law of Christ. And kids, I want to talk to you directly this morning. All right, kids, so I got your ear. Kids, are you in the house? Can I hear an amen? Kids, amen. Amen, kids. Kids, are you in the house? Amen. All right. If you're sitting with your parents this morning, raise your hand or stand on your chair. I'll let you stand. You can stand on the chair right now. If you're with your parents this morning, stand on your chair. Go ahead and raise your hand high. All right, Anison's that way. Good, good. All right, good. All right, this commandment is for you. I'm speaking directly to you. So for the next five minutes, just listen to me, all right? 
First do this, though. Turn to your parents and tell them you love them. All right, good. All right, here we go. All right, honor. It says, honor your father and mother. Do you guys know what that word honor means? It, it means to respect your parents, to, to, to look up to them. Ephesians 6.1 gives you and I more detail on how we can honor them. It says this, listen and obey them. How many of you guys love to listen and obey your parents the very first time they tell you to do something? Raise your hand. Yes, all right. So this is for you, all right? And here's, what, here's what's so cool about this. Did you know that God himself, God himself has given you your parents? He has handpicked your parents for you. And so for you to honor and obey your parents is to honor and obey the Lord. And one way, again, you can do that is by listening to them the very first time and listen with a smile on your face, all right? But we also know in here that this isn't just for kids. This is for all people, whether you're 3 or 13 or 30 or even 75. As I was writing this portion of the scripture out, my dad was in Pittsburgh in the hospital visiting his 93-year-old mother, my grandmother, who's very ill. And what was he doing? He was sitting there and honoring his mom, Paulina Santini. He was honoring and thanking her for everything that she has done for him over the past year. He was loving her and serving her and, and helping her. And so this is not, again, just for little kids, but this is for all of us, for all of us. And again, it kicks off the second half of the, 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 the table of the law for us. Why honor your father and mother? Why does the Lord use this to kick off the second table about talking about our relationships with one another? Because everyone has parents. And so this is a commandment for everyone. Not everyone gets married, so not everyone can necessarily commit adultery, but everyone has parents, so everyone can honor their father and mother. So this is where Moses starts and with the second commandment on how we love our neighbors. But first, I want to talk to parents real quick, because we just talked to about the kids, about honoring their parents. And we know that Scripture says that children, they are a gift from the Lord, amen? Yeah, they're a gift. We love them and stuff. But we also know that then when they're born, they are born little, selfish, little sinners, right? All right? And even though they can't speak, one described little children as little terrorists. The only difference between a terrorist and a child is age, strength, and a weapon. That's the only difference, Right? That's the only difference. And it's true. We, we've, that, I've had five. I, I understand that. And so, but, but parents, first and foremost, if we want our children to obey how to honor and respect you, a lot of them don't know what that means because they naturally don't do it. So you and I, as parents, we have to teach that to them. And we have to teach it to them as soon as they come out of that womb on day one. We got to be consistent in teaching them what it looks like to honor mommy and daddy. What does that look like? And there's a number of ways. One, you can, again, start using, um, to teaching them how to use their manners. One thing that we did, uh, Rita and I, that we've encouraged a lot of you to do is to, you can teach your kids sign language basically as soon as they can really sit in a high chair. We taught our kids sign language because they're smart. They understand what's going on. They just can't communicate what they want. So we taught them please. We taught them uh, more. We taught them thank you. And we taught them no, right? Right? No. So when they're sitting in the high chair, parents, your little kids are sitting in the high chair. How many of them do the windshield wiper, right? When they're all done, they don't want any food. They just are like this, right? Right? So as soon as we stop that, we got to teach them how to honor and respect us and not make a mess. So we would say, all done. All done. 
And then if they, you know, wanted more food, well, they would say, please more, right? If we see them doing something wrong, we'd say, they, they all know what this is, right? Even at a young age. So you, you teach, you have to teach your child how to honor you. And then as they grow up and they become able to speak and, and, and then process things a little bit more, you can consistently, again, now tell them to use their manners, saying please, thank you, no, etc. And then when you do give them the command, they will obey the first time and not wait 10 times because you're already starting to train them. So first of all, this commandment starts as us as parents to treat our younger kids on how to train up our younger kids. But again, this is a commandment for children and not parents. Again, so this is a commandment for all of us in here. So children, um, I want to give, start from 1 to 12. I'm like, I kind of break them out. Here's some applications. So if you're a child from 1 to 12, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, this is for you right here. Child, children from the ages 1 to 12. This is how you can honor and respect your mom and dad. As we already said, obey them the first time. Obey them the first time. When they ask you to do something, pick up the toys in your room. Make your bed. Whatever that may be, you're like, yes, mommy. Yes, daddy. We will do that. All right, teenagers, if you're a teenager in here, raise your hand. Teenagers, raise your hand. All right, raise them up high. You're a teenager? <laughs> Brandon, <laughs> Madison, like, she deked me right there. I'm like, what's going on here? Um, if you're a teenager, all right, raise your hand. Teenagers, okay, this is for you. Now, again, you guys understand. Obey the first time. Use your manners. Those are givens for you. You guys get this. But that's, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask your mother and father today on the drive home, hey, what are, what are three ways in which I can honor you? What, what are three ways with, which I can show you my love and respect for you? All right, teenagers, that's for you. Uh, 20-somethings, those are those who leave the nest. Um, 20-somethings, those that kind of graduate high school and they go off to college. I love what uh, Jerome Bettis' dad told his son when Jerome Bettis was going off to play football at the University of Notre Dame. And I've told our kids this as well. I've adopted this. He says, son, I don't have much to give you except a good name and don't mess it up, right? That's a great way. That's a great way to honor your parents. Don't mess up their name. And then, of course, the rest of us in here, the rest of us in here, as I already alluded to with my dad, the way that we can honor our parents if we still have our parents is by being grateful is by being thankful, is calling them up and just saying, hey, thank you for your time and investment in my life. Thank you. And when we do this, when we obey this commandment, we see that it's the only commandment that says it comes with a promise. It comes with a promise. Honor your parents so that they may live long, so that you may live long in the land your Lord is giving you. And so we see this is a promise from the Lord ourselves. When we obey this command, the Lord himself says, hey, I'm going to make your life enjoyable. I'm going to give you joy and abundance. Now, it's not saying it's not going to be without trial. It's not going to be without hardship. It is. But overwhelmingly, as you look back on your life, if you honor your mother, mother and father on a consistent basis, you're going to see blessing in your life. And so that's the first commandment or the fifth one. The sixth commandment is this, you shall not murder, verse 13. Here in English, we have two, uh, four words for it. In the original text, Hebrew, it's only two words, no murder. Some say never murder. And notice it doesn't say you shall not kill, because in Scripture there's about eight other words that Moses could have used for um, killing in the Hebrew, but here he specifically chooses this word murder. We know that murder is taking an innocent life. 
whether premeditated or planned out or even accidental, innocent life being taken is included under this umbrella. In our cultural context, this would also include things like abortion, suicide, euthanasia. All these would take innocent life. And the Bible tells us in, very, in very different scriptures in many different ways, this, is not, should be, this should not be the case. And we know why. We know why this is not the case, because God has created each and every one of us in His image. In the image of God, He created us male and female. So no matter your ethnicity, no matter your social economic background, no matter your gender, no matter whether you have some physical or mental disability, we are all created in the image of God, and life is precious and valued. I don't know if you guys know this, but every day of the week, during this week, we have special needs uh, parents and groups that come in and meet here uh, because they can't meet in other places because of COVID. So we opened our door and said, yeah, man, you can come in here and meet and socialize and, and have time. And I love it. I'm sitting there in my study, and I hear all kinds of crazy noises and sounds coming from, you know, from them. And it just, it just brings joy to my heart because I know that God loves those they are, they are His treasured possessions just as much as we are. Life is valuable because God has knitted each and every individual in the womb. This is why it's, God says no murder. Because when we do take an innocent life, to murder someone is an insult on God Himself. Because He is the giver of life, and He also is the one that ends a life. Now we know with Jesus that, that this commandment, Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 21, he takes it to a whole different level, just not the outward act, but he also gets internal. He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, if you are angry, if you insult your brother or sister or call him a fool, you will be liable of the judgment of even hell. So even in Jesus' mind, to not murder is, is even deeper. It starts with the attribute or the action of the attitude of the heart of anger. And that even that, even that's being angry with our brother or sister, some other individual, can send us to hell, Jesus said. Now, at first glance, again, before Jesus, before this command, we might think, oh, we got this one licked because most of us have never murdered anyone innocent, uh, that was innocent. And then Jesus throws this whole anger thing out there, and we go, man, we are guilty. But in fact, when we really stop to pause and think about this, 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 this command makes us look inward, and we are far worse than we really even think or could imagine. You and I are far, it's far more worse for us because we have all indeed committed murder. And not just murder with anger in our hearts, but murder. We have blood on our hands because it was our sin, it was your sin, it was my sin that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. The most innocent man to ever walk the face of the earth was Jesus, and you and I are accomplices in his death because of our sin. Martin Luther, this is one of the most powerful quotes outside of the Bible that I think I've ever heard. Martin Luther said this, we all carry the very nails that crucified Christ in our pockets. We all carry the very nails that crucified Christ in our own pockets. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, we tend to kind of soften this truth and we would say like, oh man, we're really not that bad. But the Bible informs us all the more different that we are even worse than we thought we were. We are that bad. We are all murderers. And here's the deal. We, we at the crossing, we own this. 
When we, when we preach, we don't, we don't want to soften this. We don't want to water it down. Because when we water down the truth of who we are apart from Christ, then we water down the gospel. Then the gospel doesn't become that much more glorious. And so let me, let me wrap the arms around the go- of the gospel around you and me this morning. And this is so good. And this is where we need to live here. Not just with this commandment, but with any commandment. We need to live every single day in the arms of the gospel. Because if the cross shows us that I am far worse than I could have ever imagined, it also shows me that God's love, God's forgiveness for me, for you, and for you, and 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 you, is far more glorious than we could have ever imagined. It's bigger and better than we could ever imagine. I'm always reminded of my own life when I sin, when I break a commandment of God where I sin against God. I'm always remember of this, though my sin reaches farther, God's love, grace, and forgiveness reaches even further. And I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. He was innocent so that for this purpose, in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that good news this morning? That we get to be embraced by the gospel This is amazing grace, and we need to soak in this truth every single day. That there is hope for everyone in this room who has sinned and has has broken this commandment. That leads us to the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery, verse 14. In all these commandments, there's another argument for us in, in keeping them in the new covenant, in the New Testament. And It's that they all display, as I alluded to in my prayer, they all display a characteristic or an attribute of God Himself. And since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, these are commands that are for us. There are commands for those that are on Mount Sinai. They are also the commands for us. So, the seventh commandment is, you shall not commit adultery, verse 14. So, this commandment highlights God's faithfulness to us, His commitment to us, His loyalty to us. And the same here, whether you're a Jewish husband and wife married and you're sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai or if you're a Christian husband and wife who's married here at the crossing in the year 2021, these commands are for us. And the command of not committing adultery points us to experiences God's faithfulness, His commitment, and His loyalty to us. And again, we know just like with the last commandment that Jesus takes this commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, to another deeper level, where he says this in Matthew 5, 28, you have heard it said, but I say to you that everyone who even looks at a woman or man with lustful intent has already committed adultery in his or her heart. Again, he takes it into the heart level. Again, it, it, it catches all of us in here. And this commandment is obviously given to protect the most important relationship outside of Christ in his church, the husband-wife relationship. And the greatest way to cause destruction in a marriage is sexual sin, is adultery. The enemy knows this, Satan knows this, our own flesh knows this, the world knows this. And that's why temptation is everywhere we go, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sexual temptation. Because the enemy knows that if we can knock off 
and we can create you know, dis, dis, um, dis, um, division in the husband-wife relationship, if we can destroy the marriage relationship, then all the rest of society will follow through. Statistical, uh, statistical truism, is, as we look back throughout history, when we look at the great countries and the great empires, one of the telling factors, and even in our own country right now, our decline in the United States of America is because the husband-wife relationship, the nuclear family, is being broken apart. And kids are starting to ha- uh, be born outside the wedding, outside of the marriage relationship, the marriage covenant. This is so huge. And God understands how devastating sexual sin is because He created sex. But He created it for a context. And in the context of a husband and a wife relationship, it is good. It is fruitful. It's a blessing. I've used this illustration when we went through the Song of Solomon, but how many of you light fires in your living room? And we're like, well, in the context of a fireplace, we'll put a fire in there. We light a fire in the, in the, place of a, in the context of a fireplace. Because when we do that, it's good. It takes heat. It looks nice. It smells good. It, it crackles. It's a, it's, a, it's a joy. It's a blessing. It serves us. And that's what... That's what that's what sex is inside marriage. It's something that's good. It's right. It brings pleasure in its context. But outside its context, it's like us lighting a fire in the middle of our living room. And it burns and brings destruction. All of us have been probably touched by the sexual sin. And in particular, maybe even adultery. So, I don't know about you, but with this truth, with this commandment and other commandments, I, I hear a lot of times as a Christian that I don't want to follow Jesus because there's too many commandments. There's too many rules. There's too many, too many laws. And it just, they just want to, they just want to you know, put you in prison. They want you to enjoy life. Well, there's a sign that says this, that commands this. It says, do not enter. And one could see that command and be like, oh man, there it is. No joy. Do not enter, right? That's a bummer. That's not a fun command. But then you read the smaller print, and it says this, do not enter minefield. And you're like, oh, that's actually a good command. And that's what these commandments are for us. They are good commandments. They are commandments given to us so that we will flourish in all of our relationships, and in particular, this one, in the marriage relationship, in the husband-wife relationship, that sex is to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. And again, when it's there, it's going to be a wonderful thing. But when it goes outside, it's going to blow up ourselves and our marriages. So that's the seventh commandment, is you shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal, verse 15. Now we finally come to a commandment where like Jesus doesn't say in the New Testament on the Sermon of the Mount, he doesn't say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, do not steal. We, we, have, we, we don't hear that, so we're like, oh man, finally, this one we get, maybe we can get by with, Right? No, we can't, because as soon as we recognize that this commandment is really tied to the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, we see that it's, this one gets us as well, right? Because you shall not covet is the internal heart motivation of stealing. Stealing is manifested because we covet. We, we, we see something that we don't have, therefore we go and steal it. So we see that actually that this one gets to our heart as well, just like murder and adultery. Now, we know that stealing is to take something that's not yours. Simply that. Stealing is to take something that's not yours. And it can really deal with anything. It can deal with time. We can, we can steal time from like an, our employers. 
when we're working and we should be working and doing the work that our employer gives us. Instead, you know, you're playing Candy Crush or you're doing your own personal emails or whatever, you, you know, we do on our employees' time. We should be working, but we steal time. Otherwise, it could also be physical things, cars, shoes, money. I, when I was young and, and in college, I would, I would you know, I, 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 I grew up in Tucson, Arizona. I'd go play baseball at the University of Mexico, and I'd come back. And, and before I would go sometimes, I would go to my friend's house, and I'd be like, ooh, I like that shirt. And so I would kind of take it. And I called it the original home shopping network, right? That was the home, original home shopping network for me. But really, that was just stealing. They'd be like, Aaron, have you seen that shirt? Or they see a picture of me with their shirt on. And they're like, yo, what? what? I'm like, yeah. But see, you can make a... <laughs> that was wrong, by the way, so don't do that. Um, you could make an argument that the very first sin that Adam and Eve did was coveting and stealing. God said, hey, you can have any fruit, any from, the, from, from any of these other trees, but this tree, this fruit, this tree produces, you can't have this one. And we know what they all did. The enemy tempted them, they coveted, and then they stole the fruit. But again, stealing can also be not giving. Stealing is not only taking, but it can also be not giving. Scripture says this in Malachi 3.8, the Lord says, this is what the Lord says, people should not steal things from God. And you say, well, where do we steal from you? And God says, you should have given me one-tenth of your things. You should have given me your special gifts. So they were withholding their gifts and offerings to the Lord. Now, again, that's under the Old Covenant, but under the New Covenant, we are also called to give, to bring our, not our tithes, but our, our gifts and offerings with a consistent, joyful manner to His church. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 Corinthians 9, and all other places. So stealing could also be not giving. So we see that stealing takes on a number of forms, and we know that we're all probably guilty at one time or another of stealing. And again, the motive is because we covet, because we don't have. It's a motive inside our hearts. And so how do we combat not stealing? We, we, we combat that with an attitude of thankfulness. I think with an attitude of thankfulness. Now, thankfulness is something, again, that doesn't come natural to us. We have to cultivate that. We have to cultivate thankfulness in our hearts. And so just, again, bounce your eyes when you go home and you're sitting in there and it's minus five outside and just start thanking God for all the good things that He has already given you. Cultivate a heart of thankfulness and that will help you combat coveting and stealing. That leads us to the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, verse 16. God loves truth. God hates lying. Again, it's one of his greatest characteristics and attributes. In fact, Jesus embodies truthfulness. In John 14, he says, I am the truth. He loves truth. God loves truth. And here, it's not telling a lie or bearing false witness against your neighbor. It's kind of a court court term. This, this kind of takes, a, takes in a court of law where you come and you bear false witness against your neighbor. But again, I think it's, it also goes through just lying in general. And I don't know about you, but in my household, when, and when I grew up as a child, it seems like when I lied that I got punished twice as hard. The punishment was twice as severe. And, I, and that, that, that lesson stood with me, and I, I carried it on to, and Rita and I have carried this on to our own kids, and there's a biblical reason for this. But let me give you an illustration. 
JT, you guys know JT is our second child, oldest son. One night he was at, it was in high school, and he was out with, the, you know, with his fellas or someone, and, and um, he, was, he, was, he was past his curfew. And I was like, ooh, he's past his curfew. So I, I called JT. I said, hey, JT, you know, is everything all right? You guys doing okay? Can, do you need any help? He goes, no, I'm good. I'm just with my friends, and I'm taking them home, and, and this is where I'm at. I'm down in this, you know, area of Fort Collins. And I was like, oh, okay. Now, one of the beautiful things about 2021, or even back then, is we all have GPS on our phone. And all of our kids, we've had GPS on them for security reasons. So we know where they are at all times. They know where we are at all times. And I was looking at the GPS as Jesus, uh, as a Jesus, as JT was telling me this story, and he was not where he said he was. And so I said, okay, next morning. I said, hey, JT, again, you're late coming home. Why were you late? And, he, and just, you know, give him an opportunity, extend grace to him. And uh, he told me the same story. And I said, okay, JT. I said, um, tell me the story again, knowing that I knew exactly where you were because I had you on GPS. And you could just see his face just like, oh, like, oh no, right? And so he lied. And so, again, his restriction was twice as long as it would have been if he would have, you know, told the truth. But also he loved his hair. He loved the flow, right? He loved the flow. So he shaved his head. So he shaved his head. And then, again... Some of you guys are like, man, Aaron, that, that's funny, one. It's good parenting, too. But some of you might be saying like, man, that's a little harsh. That's over the top. But again, again, here's why we in our household, yes, we show grace, but we, 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 we take lying even maybe in a, at a higher level. Because Proverbs 6, 16 says this, there are six, thing that the, six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination. So there are six things, seven that the Lord hates and are abomination. Listen to the list. Verse 17, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discords among the brothers. There's only one of those that's, la- that's, that's repeated twice in there. And what are they? A lying tongue. So if the Lord says twice, in his list of things that he hates and abomination is, then those are things that we really want to take seriously when raising our kids and even looking at our own selves in the mirror, not lying. God hates lying. It's an abomination to him because God is about truth. He loves truth. He is truth. Therefore, I want myself, my kids, and all of us to understand the gravity of breaking this commandment that you shall not bear false witness. Finally, that leads us to the 10th commandment, you shall not covet, verse 17. And we kind of already touched base on this with stealing, but again, of the last six commandments regarding our horizontal relationships with one another, this one doesn't deal with the outward actions of our disobedience, but an inward action of our disobedience. In fact, you can make the argument that this, this, this one coveting is the cause of all the other five that we just went through. Things like honor your father and your mother, murder, adultery, stealing, and lying are all things that might be motivated by coveting. See, these also things, again, we, these, all these other attributes of the commandments that are things that we do that can be seen by others. See, they, can, they can see us commit these acts of sin. Coveting, on the other hand, we can't see it. You can't see when I'm coveting. I can't see when you're coveting. This is something that's internal, but the Lord and the Lord only can see. 
So coveting, on the other hand, is an internal sin. Again, no one can see it unless we act upon it, and it shows up in different, different ways. And this was a tough one. Again, this is another one that the enemy is, is, is trying to get us to break 24 hours a day, seven days a week. In fact, there's a whole billion-dollar business surrounded by making you and I covet, right? It's the marketing advertising business. Uh, their whole job is to make you break this commandment. We just had the Super Bowl. Five point million dollars for a 30-second ad for the Super Bowl. That's an insane amount of money, and companies are lining up to pay that. Why? Because it's all about marketing. It's all about saying, hey, you're missing out in life if you don't wear this kind of makeup, if you don't drive that car. These two are always confusing to me. You're missing out on life if you don't get to eat Doritos, right? And you're like, Doritos, right? Or pistachios. Now, pistachios I can understand because like, I'm a pistachio guy. But, but again, your life is incomplete if you don't eat these things. And yet companies are spending billions, millions of dollars on this to get you to covet, to get you to covet. Again, now there's nothing wrong with having a desire to upgrade your car. Nothing wrong to, to get the right clothes you need for your job or to go enjoy a hobby. You know, there's, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with that. It becomes sinful when we look at what others have that we don't have and we start to obsess over them. Or we start to, to question God. It's like, well, why are you giving them those things, God, and you're not giving them to me? And that's where we get into trouble. And again, just like stealing, we need to, to bounce our eyes off of what other people have and onto what we have, onto what God has given us. Because this speaks to God's sovereignty and Him being a good Father over you and me. He has given all of us everything we need right now for life and godliness. So everything that you have, everything that you possess right now is designed by God. This is what he says. This is what you need so that you will glorify me and that you will have joy. And then as you guys know that there, if there's something that he wants to bless you with, he will as you go down the line. But again, cultivate a heart of thankfulness. And we cultivate a heart of thankfulness when we get and put our eyes on Jesus, knowing that he is a, a good Savior. He's a good Messiah. And that He does live to bless us and serves us. And He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness. So that's a quick overview of the, the second half of the Ten Commandments on how we are to love our neighbors, how we are to love one another. And I know like you, like me, as I look at those and as I was teaching and I was going through those, I'm like, man, broken, 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 right? We're all there. And so let me give you two final quick applications. And again, I want to point us back to Calvin's three uses of the law. And the first one, for those of us in here that, that don't know Jesus, again, the first, uh, first uses of the law, first purposes of the law, of the Ten Commandments, Calvin says, was again to be a mirror, to show us our sin and our need for a Savior. So if you're in here this morning and, and Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, you haven't bowed your knee to Him, you haven't seen your need for a Savior, you, you, you haven't come to the conclusion that, man, I can't earn it, I can't buy it, I'm helpless without, I need a Savior, and you turn your eyes to Jesus, the one who can save you. Because He did step down out of heaven 
to live the perfect life in your place, in my place. He, he died on the cross to make payment for your sin. He rose again on the third day to prove that he was the true Messiah and Savior, that everything he said was true about him. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. So if you need a Savior, if you are sitting here or you're listening online and we went through these things and you're like, man, I've broken that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. You see your helpless need. This is good news. The law is good. It's to point you to Jesus. So today might be the day for you to repent and believe. I think by God's grace last week, we had someone, as we went through the law, do that. Was convicted by the law. Repented and trusted in Christ. Amen? So if that's you this morning, today is the day of salvation. Jesus is speaking to you directly to believe in Him. Secondly, for those of the for those of us that have already walked through the first use of the law, we look at the, of now the third use of the law. The, these commandments are given to us to live a life that honors God. And again, we're still going to break them. And so what I don't want us to do is I don't want us to, to wake up tomorrow morning and think like, man, I got I to, gotta, oh man, I, to be a good Christian, to follow Jesus, I got to keep all these commandments. I got to, you know, and just start ripping off the Ten Commandments in your head and all the other commandments that are in the New Testament. We don't need to do that. What I want you to do is you wake up tomorrow morning. Thank the Lord for waking you up. This is a day the Lord has made. Lord, let us rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, thank you for keeping evil far from my house. Thank you for giving me rest for my body uh, because the day before it was depleted by sin. Now I'm ready to rejuvenate, to worship you today. Thank you for waking me up. And let me just fulfill one commandment, the great commandment, to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor as ourself. So for us to keep all these commandments, we need to keep one. And that commandment is to love God and to love our neighbors. So when you wake up tomorrow, if you want to keep these commandments, if you want to live a life that's joyful and full of abundance, love God. Love God and love your neighbor. That's what Matthew 22, 37 says. That's what Mark 12, 30 says. And that's what Luke 10, 27 says. It's the great commandment to love God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these commandments. Thank you for the overview that they give us on how to please and worship you, how to live a life of joy and abundance. And Father, it's, as Jesus says, it's wrapped up in one commandment. Jesus said, I came to not abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And all the law is wrapped up in this one statement, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so, Lord, may we be a people as we walk out these doors, may we be a people, a people that have the love of God on our hearts, on our minds, and in our actions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.